Today is Homecoming Sunday, and we welcome home to the church all of our families that have been traveling, have been on vacation, or have been at the lake or some other exotic place, wherever you've been, we welcome you back as the church comes back together um, on this particular Sunday because school is beginning and that's what brings us all back together. Uh, we are one community of faith, one family of Christ, and uh, we will celebrate promotion Sunday in our Sunday school today. And over the next few weeks, all of our fall programs in the church will begin to kick into high gear. But don't tell the church staff that we haven't been in high gear all summer because for those particularly, those who work with our children and youth who've been involved with Vacation Bible School and the mission trip for youth to Guatemala and the senior mystery trip and so many other things that have been going on, they didn't know that anything slowed down this summer and it really didn't. And uh, you may have been on vacation, but things continued to go in high gear. But this morning, we're all back together. And as I thought, what do you say on this Sunday that we come back together and uh, re-engage ourselves in the life of the church? I don't know of anything better to do than to think a moment about why this is so important. Why being actively involved in the life of the church is so important. And, and I thought about over my 72 years of life, what lessons have I learned about life that are most important that make all the difference in the world? And uh, I realize they all come through our faith and my faith has come through the life of the church. And so I want to share these lessons that I've learned about how to live life to the fullness. And I hope that as I share them, my prayer is that all these beautiful children that we have seen here this morning, that we're so blessed with in this church to have, that they will learn these same important lessons through the church, but more than that, through you, their families, their parents, and their grandparents. And there's two passages of scripture you just heard read that I find myself coming back to more and more as the years go by in life. The first passage is John 10, 10 where Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Now we all have life when we're born into this world, but how many of us really live life in all of its fullness? There's a huge difference there. Somebody once said, most people just exist. Only the ones that learn what life is all about really live. And the second passage uh, is found in James chapter four, verse 14, where it says, what does it mean to, uh, to have life in all its fullness? And James says, one of the things is to learn how to live each day to the fullest. Don't wait thinking when this happens, when that happens down the road, but realize today is the day that we have to live life to the fullest. And like Jesus said, live it today and tomorrow we'll take care of itself. So here are the lessons that I've learned in life through my faith, through the church that enable me to try and live life to the fullest or the abundant life as Jesus calls it. Uh, the first thing is what Scott Peck says in the beginning of his book, The Road Less Traveled, is that life is full of trouble. And anybody that thinks otherwise is just kidding yourself. Sickness, sorrow, hardship, financial troubles, 
injuries, accidents, aches and pains, disappointment, frustrations of all sorts happen to all of us. And becoming a Christian does not guarantee you freedom from trouble in life. A lot of people get the mistaken idea that once they say, I believe in Jesus, all my problems will go away. That's not true. But what it does guarantee you is that when you face those hardships or troubles in life, as we all will, as our families will, as our children will, that there is help available for coping and overcoming those troubles, to learn how to grow and become better people because of those troubles in life than if we didn't have them. If you think about it, a trouble-free life to me would be rather boring. It's like an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine makes a Sahara. And if you read the New Testament letter of James and the first verse in there, he says, is your life full of trouble? Then be happy. Was he crazy? What was he thinking when he said that? He was thinking through the heart of faith because he goes on to say, because when the way is rough, your patience will have a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your troubles. For when your patience is in full bloom, you will be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. But it all depends upon your attitude and how you look at your challenges. And your attitude in life depends upon your faith. I have seen people face the same situations in life and one person has a positive attitude and does well. Another person has a negative attitude and doesn't do so well. So the second thing that I hope we teach these beautiful children through this church and through our families is that what helps you live life to the fullest depends upon your attitude in life and what happens in life. The smartest people in this world are not those with the best education or the most money or even the most successful by worldly standards. But the smartest people in this world are the people who have the best attitude in life. And attitude is a choice. You choose what your attitude is going to be. Nobody gives it to you. Life does not impose it upon you, whether good things or bad things happen, but you choose what your attitude will be. And I'm sure if you've been here and heard me before, you've heard me say there's a big difference between the person who gets up in the morning and says, good morning, Lord, and others who say, good Lord, morning. <laughs> Which might you be? Attitude makes all the difference between success and failure in life. And I always have loved a story that I heard John Maxwell tell the first time I heard it about a little boy by the name of Jeb. And every morning when Jeb was growing up, his mother would come to his room at 5.30 in the morning and wake him up and say, Jeb, it's gonna be a great day. But that wasn't what he wanted to hear, particularly at that time in the morning. It was his job every day to go outside and to get coal to come in and start the fire that heated the house. And he hated it. One particularly cold day when his mother came into his room and said, it's gonna be a great day, Jeb sort of snapped. 
He said, no, mom, it's going to be a lousy day. I'm tired. I'm cold. I don't want to get up and go get the coal. It's a crummy day. Well, sweetheart, said his mother, I didn't know you felt that way. Why don't you just go back to bed and get a little more sleep? Jeb thought he had hit pay dirt. Why didn't I think of this before? He thought to himself. Jeb woke up about two hours later. The house was warm. He could smell breakfast cooking. He rolled out of bed, put on his clothes. He went to the kitchen. He said, boy, am I hungry. I'm all rested up, breakfast is cooked. This is just great. Sweetheart, his mother said, you don't get any food today. Remember how you said it's gonna be a terrible day? Well, as your mother, I'm gonna do my best to make sure that you have that terrible day. You go back to your bedroom, you stay there all day, you're not allowed to come out and you're not going to eat anything. I'll see you tomorrow at 5.30. Well, Jeb walked dejectedly back to his room, he got into bed. He was able to go back to sleep, but only for about an hour, you know, there's only so much sleeping that a person can do. He spent the day moping around in his room, getting hungrier and hungrier, and when it finally got dark, he went back to bed again and tried to sleep. He woke up several hours before daylight. He put on his clothes. He was sitting on the edge of his bed when his mother opened the door to his room at 5.30 and before she could say a word, he said, Mom, it's gonna be a great day. <laughs> you see, attitude makes all the difference. A third lesson that I've learned that's so very important in life and whether you're gonna live life to the fullest or settle for something much less than that has to do with the importance of the friends you choose to keep. In the wisdom of the book of Proverbs in the Bible, we read in Proverbs 13, wise friends make you wise, but you hurt yourself by going around with fools. In Proverbs 22, we read, don't make friends with anyone who has a bad temper. You might turn out to be like them and get caught in a trap. The people you choose to hang out with are gonna play a major role in determining what you and your life is like. They will influence you with their attitude in life as well as with their values and their priorities. If they choose, if you choose to hang out with people who are materialistic, then you're gonna be influenced that way. If your friends that you associate with are immoral, then you're gonna be influenced that way. If your friends choose to play golf on Sunday morning or go to the lake rather than be in church, you're gonna be tempted to do the same. Do you get the message? So what kind of friends do you have? Do they lift you up or pull you down? Do they make you a better person or a lesser person? And I've always said without a doubt that the best friends you'll ever have, the best friends I've ever had, are the friends that you make right here in the life of the church. That's why small groups and classes are so important because that's where and how we really get to know each other. A fourth lesson that I've learned about life and how to live life to the fullest is that it's people, not things, that matter most. We must learn to love people and use things. 
The world today to such a great degree loves things and uses people. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a million dollars and or a brand new Mercedes or would you rather have a true genuine friend? And if you even have to think for a moment about the answer to that question, then I feel sorry for you. It's your friends who make your life. What good would it be to have everything in the world if you had nobody with whom to share it? Because without friends, you don't have anything. And as I said a moment ago, the greatest friends you'll ever make are the friends you make right here in the life of the church. If there's only one thing that you ever learn from Jesus Christ, I hope it's that it's people, not things, that matter most in life. I often say that one of the great tragedies of our affluent society, and it's nice to be affluent, it's nice to enjoy all that we enjoy, but one of the great tragedies is that too many people and too many young people have everything to live with, but they don't really know what there is to live for. And hence we face so many of the critical problems of drugs and suicides and depression, everything that grow in our society as faith in God and religious life declines. Jesus taught us that the greatest thing to live for in life is to live for the sake of others, not just for yourself. In light of that, another lesson I've learned in life, this is probably the most important one, it's that life is all about love. When people ask me, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? There's only one word I'll give you. The bottom line is love, L-O-V-E, and it's agape love, the kind of love in the Bible, not romantic or physical or brother, sister, but agape love, the kind that Jesus taught. The basic thing we're taught about God in the scriptures is God is love. And God created us because God loves us and wants us to enjoy that love. And so the Bible says God created us in his image. He created us to know how to love others and be loved in return. Scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 13, that great passage on love, that without love we are nothing. We have nothing. No matter what else we may or may not have in life, if we don't know how to love other people and be loved in return, we have nothing. And in a world that so often argues about when does life begin or when does life really end, the truth is that life begins only when we learn how to love others and be loved in return. And life ends when you can no longer do that. An 18th century Frenchman by the name of Etienne de Gruyere once said, and I love these words, I shall pass through this world but once, if therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do for any fellow creature, let me do it now, let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Or as Mother Teresa of Calcutta put it, it's not what you do, it's not what you have, but how much you love that matters in life. Another reason to think about why love is so important is because it's the only thing that lasts. Other things will pass away. And also think about this. 
Love is the only way that we're gonna know each other on the other side of death. People say, well, what kind of body will we have? Spiritual body, whatever that is, will we look like we do now? Are you gonna look like you are now or when you were 20 years old or when you were 60 or 80 years old? How will we recognize each other in heaven? The answer is through the power of love. So if we don't learn how to love in this world, how are we gonna find the joy of heaven if we don't recognize anybody? When we get to heaven, God's not gonna say, well, tell me about your career. Or tell me about how much money you got in your bank account. Tell me about your hobbies. No, God's not gonna ask any of that. God will ask, how much have you loved other people? Especially those in need. And the time to love is now, today, this moment. So often we say, well, I'll always love you. But what others want to know, especially our children, is, but will you love me right now? Today is the time that counts. So if you're really going to be a loving person, do it now. Because tomorrow just might be too late. And this brings me to the last thought that I wanna share with you about life and how to live life to the fullest. And again, I have clearly learned this one through my Christian faith because you read about it in Philippians chapter four, where it says, learn to be content no matter what's going on in life. Learn to be content no matter how much or how little you have. Learn to be at peace whether good things or bad things are happening. Learn to be relaxed, whether you're under stress or not, whether things are going well or whether they're difficult. In other words, learn to live each moment to the fullest, savor every moment that you're alive and breathing, savor every person that you come into contact with. Too many people we know get hung up on the past and memories of the past, whether they're good memories or bad memories. Too many other people get hung up on the future, looking forward when something wonderful is finally gonna happen or, or are afraid of the future because they think something bad is going to happen. But the happiest people in life, the most joyous people, are those who live each present moment to the fullest, no matter what's going on. And the only way you can do that there's only one way you can do that, and that is to truly know and experience God in your life through Jesus Christ, because only he can give you the peace that the world will never be able to give you. So life in this world is fleeting very fast, especially in the face of eternity. The older we get, the more fleeting we know it's going. But life in this world is a preparation for eternity. And if you can't learn to be happy or content or at peace or how to love others now, how are you ever gonna hope to do it in the future? This life is too short, too precious to waste a single moment of it. So laugh often, love deeply, keep learning, keep growing, cherish your health, don't take guilt trips, when tears come, let them flow and then move on. Cherish your friends and let the people you love the most know it every day that you're with them. 
Remember this, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. So this is what I've learned. This is what my faith has taught me. This is why the older I get, the more important I realize church is. And I hope that through this church and through you, their families and the family of the church, our children, our grandchildren will learn this, but they won't unless we learn it first. This is what I've learned in life. I wonder what you've learned.